Easter is three weeks away, if you can believe that. I hope spring hits us before that day, don't you? I sure don't want 18 degrees on Easter, but we'll take whatever we get. It's going to be a great day as we celebrate the resurrection. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, and we're continuing in our study in the book of Mark, and we're asking this question about Jesus, because the whole book of Mark is to tell us about Jesus, and Mark immediately declares, Jesus is the Son of God, and now he begins to prove that he actually is the Son of God. And our question is, so who is this man, Jesus? What's he like? What's he all about? And today we're going to be taking a look at a parable that Jesus uh, delivers, and he talks about a lamp that is, that is put on a stand. I mean, like, we take for granted that whenever it's dark, we just switch the switch and light bulbs come on, right? But back in the day, they didn't have those switches. They had lamps. It was a wick in a, in a clay, think Aladdin, okay? And that would be lit and then you would put it somewhere in the house so you could get the maximum coverage of the light. I remember when I was a little boy, about uh, seven years old, um, we lived in the Philippines at the time, and our family was gonna take a trip to a very historic island called Corregidor. If you were a World War II uh, student, you, you may have heard about Corregidor. Corregidor is this island that is positioned right uh, in, the, in the mouth of Manila Bay. So the, the island kind of used around it and then Corregidor is in the center of that spot. It was a strategic stronghold for all of the historic wars in the history of the Philippines and especially in World War II. So my family got on this boat. We rowed for 40 minutes out into the ocean to Corregidor and then we, get, we began to tour the place. Now Corregidor was where uh, General MacArthur, the commander of the Allied forces in the Pacific, he held his, that, that's, that's one of his staging places. And when the Japanese began to take over the Philippines, that was sort of the last bastion for them. And together with the Philippine army, they resisted the attack of the Japanese. So it's, it's kind of a historical place. And we were looking around at the huge guns that are installed there, cannons that are huge. And then we went with our tour guide into the caves. On Corregidor, they had dug out a cave system that was enormous. And he brought us into a cave, and there was just a string of light bulbs that illuminated the very, very dark cave. And as we walked through that section, he said, all right, over here is where the hospital was. Over here is where the command central was. Down this area, this is where they stored the, the uh, ammunition. And, and he says, now, I want to show you how deep we are and how dark this tunnel is so everyone stand still and don't move. I'm going to turn off the lights. And here I am, like seven years old, all of a sudden, those lights get switched off, and I had never felt darkness so strong as that moment. I mean, it was so dark, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. Even though I was just an arm's length away from my mother, I could not see her. And I remember trying to reach over to find her. It was so dark, none of the people that were in that room with us, I could see or notice. It was a darkness I could feel. 
It was painful. And we're all hoping that this guy had proved his point long enough, at least I was, and he turned those lights back on, which he finally did. When we learn about Jesus in the book of Mark, one of the things that Mark points out is that one of the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven is it's a kingdom of light, not darkness. So let's read Mark 4, beginning in verse 21. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, small group, not a big multitude at this point. And he said to them, is the lamp uh, brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which shall not be revealed, nor anything been kept secret, but that it should come to the light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, take heed what you hear. Pay attention. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So what is the characteristic of the kingdom? What is this man Jesus all about? Jesus is about light. He's not about darkness. He's about light. Jesus, as we began in chapter four, was surrounded by a multitude of people. This crowd was in such a frenzy to get close to Jesus because they all needed his touch. They needed a miracle. They needed something only Jesus could do. And in their desperation, you know, this is the sad thing is, they kind of lost sight of Jesus and what he was saying, and they were crowding to the front trying to get close enough to get what they wanted from Jesus. This is always the problem of people that are pursuing Jesus. Is that the way we're living? That we really don't care about what Jesus has to say or who he is like? We just want to put him in a spot where he'll do what we need. And, and, and this was the situation. And, be, and to that, Jesus tells a story, and that was what we looked at last week. There are four different kinds of soils. Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to know that under the surface of what's going on, this grand popularity that you think is so wonderful, I want you to know when I look at this crowd, I see four different types of people who are here. And here, it's like a farmer going and sowing his seed. I don't want to re-preach last week's message, but here, here are the four basic categories of people. There are the, there are, the, the seed fell on the, on the footpaths. It's the hardened soil. You can't grow anything on the footpath because it's kind of like, you know, uh, man-made concrete. It's hard and stiff and nothing penetrates. Um, these are the people that really don't care. They may be here for whatever reason, but they really don't care about what Jesus is saying. And then there are those uh, that are here that are kind of like shallow soil. They're quick to believe, excited for the moment. Um, they they, they want to see miracles. They're there to be the spectator. And I mean, who doesn't want to watch a miracle? That's like a fun thing, right? Uh, but but they're, not, they're not here for the long term. They sprout up for a moment and then they're gone. If something else come, comes along, then they're out of here. And then there are those that are like the seed that is a, uh, among the thorns. I mean, they like Jesus, but Jesus is on a par with everything else in their life that they're concerned about. 
I mean, they like Jesus, but, but they, they've got hopes and dreams and desires they want to see fulfilled. So, I mean, I'll take Jesus too, but he is competing with the other concerns of my life. And here's the deal. You can never have a God who is competing with anything else. By definition, the God who you have is supreme. And Jesus is saying, that's the problem, is they want me, but they really want me in the context of everything else they're pursuing. And then there are some here who are like the good soil. The, the, the seed gets uh, sown and it goes down into the soil because it's prepared and, and then it grows and fruit comes out of it. Some 30, 60, even 100 fold. It's amazing. You, you, you will be surprised at how much is accomplished when the seed gets put on the good soil. Now he's continuing to talk to his disciples and he's telling them, I want you to know one thing so important and that is this. Light is so important. If anyone has ears to hear, I want them to hear. I'm, I'm here, I'm not here to just tease you. I'm here and I am the lamp, I am the light, and I'm not putting it under a bushel or under a bed, that's ridiculous, nobody does that. The light that I have, I'm gonna show you. And if you have ears to hear and you're gonna pay attention to what I'm saying, that light's gonna penetrate into the deepest, darkest places of your soul and transform you bit by bit, slow by slow, day by day. So I want you to know that if you follow me and you really listen to me and you pay attention to what I have, whatever you have now is going to increase. The more you listen, the more you apply, the more you engage what I have to say, the process of your growth is not ever gonna end. It's gonna continue. So listen, pay attention. So interesting, the people that aren't listening, whatever they thought they had gets diminished. So if you have, you get more. If you don't have, you don't listen, you don't get anything, and you lose what you do have. It's a pretty powerful image. But the vision of Jesus is that we could all live in light. Wow. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a dark night of the soul? Have you ever had moments in your life when it's like the darkness comes crashing in on you, whatever that darkness is from. Maybe it's confusion or pain or suffering or heartache or betrayal or, and the darkness is heavy. And darkness hurts just like me as that little boy in that cave on that historical island. Man, I wish you would turn those lights on. I just wish the light would come on. I need the light, I need, I need. I need God's light in me. You know, it's important for us to know that whatever light we need, we should ask for. And whatever light we have, we should pay attention to and put into practice with the hopes and belief that opening the door to light will increase 
its influence and its effect in our lives. Three things we want to just talk about today about light. Number one is God is light. God is light. That is a consistent characteristic to describe God. Matthew chapter 4, verses 16 to 17, this is what it says. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. Isn't that awesome? That's what we want. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came because he knows that we're in darkness. John 8, 12 says, Jesus said to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I mean, this is what Jesus is declaring. I'm who you're looking for. I am the light. The theme of of light and and that being a characteristic of God goes all the way back to stories in the Old Testament. One of my favorite ones is the story of Moses. Moses was the deliverer of of Israel, but he, he he hit a hard time. He was out on the backside of the desert thinking that God had forgotten him and God was no longer around. And as he's, as he's um, doing his shepherd thing, he notices that there is a bush that looks like it's on fire and, and he looks at it and observes and realizes, wait a second, this bush is on fire, but the bush is not being consumed. This is just an incredibly bright light that has kind of come over this bush. And then he goes and approaches it, and God speaks to him out of that bush. Now, the point is that God manifested himself with this bright light that appeared to be like a fire, because God is light. Psalm 104, verse 2, speaking of God, who cover, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. God's presence is consistently described as light. Now, the great thing about light is this. You have light and you have darkness. But light and darkness don't fight. There's no battle there. Because the moment light comes in, darkness disappears. It's not like the darkness is holding on. Darkness has no power in the, in the presence of light. I love that. Because I don't need to fight the darkness. I just need to get the light into me. Psalm 13, three. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Boy, doesn't that sound like someone who is depressed and down and anxious? Psalm 18, 28, for you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Psalm 19, verses seven to eight, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
You know, even in our contemporary culture, this whole idea of light and darkness. Anybody here remember the Star Wars movies? It, I mean, the, the, the first ones came out in the 70s, right, I think. Boy, I was so mesmerized by that Star Wars movie. It was so great. But in, in the whole narrative, we, we hear terms in Star Wars that Anakin has been enticed by the emperor to give in to the dark side. And what does he do? He kills the younglings that he's been training, that he has a relationship with, that he has grown to love. Why? Because he turned to the dark side. Now, I'm not suggesting that you get a lot of theology from Star Wars. However, it's acknowledged. Light and darkness are opposed to each other. Second, we were in darkness and we were darkness. This, this is the story of human beings. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light in the region and shadow of death. Light has dawned. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness. Do you hear that? But now you are light in the Lord. You know, it's not that we do bad things. It's not that we turn from time to time to the darkness. But it's as if the darkness is deeply seeded into the depths of who we are. You were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Paul describes the depths of the darkness of the human heart. Yehiel Denur was a survivor of Auschwitz. Now, Auschwitz was a death camp. Denur was a Jewish man who survived the death camp. Until the end of the, its existence, Auschwitz. It was a place of extermination. New arrivals kept coming into the camp, and these new arrivals supplied labors for the extermination of their fellow prisoners. It was one of the most horrific and awful places to be and one of the most disgusting and awful things to watch or experience. Historians say that somewhere about 1.1 million people perished in Auschwitz. A, a million of them were Jews, but other groups like the Poles and Soviets and the Gypsies and others were a part of those who were exterminated in that awful place. After the war was over, Yehiel as one of the men that endured that camp and saw the horrible situation, was invited to be a witness at the Nuremberg trials in 1961. And you can actually find footage of this. During the trial, he was put on the stand and he, in front of him, was one of the masterminds of the Nazi extermination camps. His name was Adolf Eichmann. And so Denur comes to the stand as a primary witness to describe the horrors developed and executed by the Nazis, including Eichmann, who was just in the room across from him. And as he begins to talk, 
This man, you can see it on the video. He breaks down. He falls to the ground in tears. It was so horrific to remember this stuff. Literally put him on the floor. It was minutes before he could be pulled back up and continue his, his uh, testimony. Years later, a uh, famous American journalist by the name of Mike Wallace. Anybody remember 60 Minutes? Mike Wallace was a brilliant man who knew that, how to ask hard questions. And during that interview, he asked Denuer a question nobody had ever asked him. He, he asked him, why did you collapse and cry so violently? Was it fear? Was it terrible memories of the past? Was it your bitter hatred toward Eichmann? Denur said, no, none of that at all. When I saw him, I saw myself. I realized that this man was just an ordinary man like me. And when I looked into his face, after all those years, I realized I am just as capable of this kind of crime as he was. Wallace concluded his interview by saying, Eichmann is in all of us. It's a horrifying story, and it's a horrifying statement. You know what this shows us? Like Ephesians says, we not only were in darkness, but the honest truth is that we are part of the darkness. You know, one of the things my dad would tell me growing up is we would hear a story on TV about some horrible crime or read in the paper, and my dad would say, he literally would remind us always, don't you ever think that you were better than that person and that you could never commit such an evil deed? You are capable of the worst thing you've ever read about. When my dad told me that, I, I didn't like it. But he was just paraphrasing Ephesians 5, 8. You were darkness. We struggle to con confront the truth about our darkness, but how many people do you know come from families that have been blown up because of the dark darkness in the hearts of the people in that family? Maybe that's you. How many broken hearts have been shrouded in darkness because of betrayal and abandonment? How many kids have been left to the foster care system because of the darkness they lived through and experienced? And the darkness that wounded us also is inside of us too. And Jesus, he comes, who is this man? He's the man who says, I'm the light you've been looking for. My light, if you will allow it to come in, it will take away the darkness of your souls and heart. It will absolutely change you. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And Paul is saying, you know what God wants to do? He wants to change you from the inside out. Ezekiel 36 says this in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove 
from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It is transformation at the very core of our being. This is not about some kind of religious compliance. I don't know, sometimes I grew up in church. I saw the list of do's and don'ts. Did you? I'm not minimizing those do's and don'ts. But sometimes it felt like, I don't know if I could ever keep all the rules. And the truth is, none of us can. And the law of God was given to us to show us that we are desperate to the core and need a miracle transformation. God is not calling us to religious compliance. He wants to change us fundamentally. It reminds me of a story about an impolite parrot in the mall. Every day a woman would walk by his cage going to work and this rude parrot would say, oh, you're ugly. At first the woman did not believe what she heard. But day after day when she would walk by, the parrot would say, oh, you're ugly. Finally, the woman had had enough. She went inside and found the store owner and told him about this rude parrot, what he was saying to her every day. And the store owner apologized and assured her that he would take care of the parrot. And that day, the parrot got a firm talking to and a severe switching. And the next day, the woman walked by and the parrot was silent. After she walked by and stared down the rude parrot, about the same time the parrot says, you know. That's one of my favorite stories. You probably hear it again because it's so good. You know what? We don't just need external behavioral change. Is it possible for human beings who live in darkness and carry that darkness within them to be divinely and miraculously changed from the inside out? That's the question. And Jesus says, it is. That's what I've come to do. I've come to light the lamp and put it up so that it will go throughout the room. And if you have ears to hear, and you really want me, and you welcome the light into your life, I will, day by day, bring more light. And the more you receive, the more you will receive when you stop ignoring what you already have gets taken away. That's the ups and downs of our spiritual life. Isn't that right there? You were once full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Do you want the light?
It's possible. Do you believe that God is so powerful that he knows exactly what you're going through? He knows the name of the darkness you're dealing with right now. And he says, I've come to chase away the darkness with my healing light. Last point is this. I think it's the practical point of all. In our darkness, what do we do? We run to the light. Run to the light. Would you say that to the person beside you? Preach to them a little bit. Run to the light. Come on. Don't sit in darkness. 1 John 1, 5 to 7. And this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I'm going to promise you this. God in heaven is never going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He actually doesn't sleep or slumber, but his character is so consistent. He is light today. He is goodness and truth and faithfulness and compassion and mercy. He is that today. He'll be that tomorrow. He'll be that the next day. Because you see, he doesn't do light. He is light. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, none of the darkness can touch us. And when we feel the darkness setting in, we need to run to the light. In your dark night of the soul, when the circumstances of life have torn you down, and you're not sure if you can keep going. Does anybody here know what I'm talking about here? Am I the only one? Our only hope is this light. God, it's so dark right now. God, in the depths of my being, I'm confused, I'm full of grief, God, it hurts. I don't know what's going on. I feel the darkness settling in. But, but I'm, I'm going to walk with you because you are light. And Jesus, that was your agenda. You came to bring light. And when you have the light, you know what's going to happen? It's going to shine through you. And people are going to see and say, there's just something different about you. Your perspective, your approach, your hope in hard times, your commitment to doing what is right, not because you don't want to get caught, but just because you just don't tolerate the darkness in your soul. You know, when I read through Galatians chapter 5, and it talks about the work of the flesh, uh, it, it Every single one of those things, as you observe them, they are the celebrated things of our world and culture. We celebrate darkness and evil, and, and then the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
like little lights glowing in our soul. The fruit of the Spirit helps us to walk with Jesus. Um, writer Josh McDowell in his book, uh, Beyond Belief to Conviction, describes his own personal journey. Um, and he, 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 he says that while he was attending a university, he says, I noticed a small group of people, eight students and two faculty members, who seemed to be different from others. They seemed to know who they were and where they were going in life. Uh, they had convictions, which I admired. Something else about this group caught my attention. Uh, it was their attitudes and actions toward each other. They seemed to love each other. These students and professors not only loved each other, they loved and cared for people outside of their group too. They didn't just talk about love. They got involved in people's lives. It was something totally foreign to me, and I was attracted to it. So I decided to make friends with them. About two weeks later, while I was talking with some members of this group, the conversation turned to the topic of God. I was pretty insecure about this subject, so I put a big front up to, co to cover what I was feeling. I leaned back in my chair, acting as if I couldn't care less. Christianity, ha, I blustered. That's for weaklings and non-intellectuals. Deep down, I really wanted what these people in this group had, but my pride didn't want them to know that I was so needy. And then I turned to one of the young women in the group and said, tell me, what changed your lives? Why are you so different from other students and faculty? She looked me straight in the eye and said two words I never expected to hear from an intelligent discussion on a university campus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I snapped. Don't give me that kind of garbage. I'm fed up with religion, the Bible, and the church. She quickly shot back, Mister, I didn't say religion. I said Jesus Christ. Then my new friend issued a challenge to objectively examine the claims of Jesus Christ that he is the Son of God. He goes on to describe in his book that that sent him on an effort to actually investigate the evidence of Jesus throughout the writings of antiquity. And he said, I was brought face to face with Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, it wasn't the historical evidence of Christ and his word that drew me to Christ. It was his love, which had been evidenced in the lives of a handful of Christians. It wasn't the logical facts about Christ that caused me to commit my life to him. It was Christ's loving Heart, which reached out in mercy to form a relationship with me. I mean, so today, we need to run to the light. I want to ask you if you would to bow your heads and I want to ask you this. What is the name of the darkness you're dealing with? 